Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your words, we ask for your wisdom and your understanding to take it to our hearts and our minds and our souls. And as we go back to our Exodus series, Lord, remind us of all the truths that you speak through your words. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we return to our series on Exodus as we look at Moses and his life and his going to and from and fleeing and going back to Egypt and how the Lord works in mighty ways. I had to go back and remind myself where we were in the story and then I found out that I was actually the last one that preached on it so I should have known where we were in the story but we began in Exodus chapter 4 at the beginning when God spoke to Moses about his plans and purposes for him. God spoke to Moses about the miraculous signs and wonders that he would perform through Moses and spoke to him of all that would happen in the time that he was back in Egypt. And Moses had responded, how? He didn't say, yes, Lord, I'm going. I'm so excited, Lord. He said, really, Lord, me? Why not somebody else? I haven't got the words. I'm not great with language. What if the people reject me? What if the Israelites reject me? Who am I to go before Pharaoh and speak such words? Surely you should send my brother Aaron. He's so much better with words. Let him go. Let him go, not me, Lord. And the Lord responds with an amazing statement of his sovereignty and his power. And he says, Moses, think about who you're speaking to. I am who I am. I'm the one that created your mouth to speak those words. Am I not more than able to do amazing things through you? And he reminds Moses of what he has in his hands. He has the staff of God in his hands and through it he can do amazing things. So we find ourselves on another stage of Moses' return towards Egypt. And he acts as the dutiful son-in-law and he goes to Jethro, his father-in-law, and asks for his blessing to leave Midian to return to Egypt, to go back and see his brothers. Moses packs up his little family, puts them on a donkey, and with his staff in hand, returns along the road towards Egypt, back towards the purposes and the plans and the mission that God has placed upon him. And God tells him the first thing that he's to do when he gets to Egypt is to go straight to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he tells him exactly what to say. He says, say to Pharaoh, thus say the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And in this passage, what God is saying is that Israel is his firstborn son. This is chosen people. Let my chosen people go. And this will be a moment between kings, won't it? We have Pharaoh and we have 
the Lord. We have Pharaoh who thinks he's top dog. He thinks he's king, emperor, all powerful, in, unconquerable, un, inconquerable, one of the ones. But he is so much more powerful than anyone else around him. He thinks nothing can touch him. But here then is the true king, the king of the universe, redeemer of Israel, all-powerful, almighty, all-majestic, ruler over all people of all time, over all of creation. And it will be a moment when human king meets divine king. And we all know what Pharaoh's response is going to be. It's going to be, it's a no from me. It's a no from me. Before he even gets to the palace or gets towards Pharaoh, to, the, to these moments that we know are coming, we know the Exodus story so well, he has this really strange encounter in the desert. You might have been listening to Peter Reid uh, this morning and think, well, where's she going with this one this morning? It's a very strange encounter, isn't it? Why does the Lord choose or come to kill Moses? Why does Zipporah circumcise their son? What is going on here? It's a difficult passage to wrap our head around. One person I was reading about this passage very helpfully said, this is a mysterious event. Thank you. That's really enlightening. But Moses had failed to do something. He had failed to mark a certain point in the journey and in the lives of his family too. What had he failed to do? Well, he had gone and he had followed God and he was returning to Egypt. But as he goes along this, he has this near-death experience. It's Sipporah who saves his life. It's Sipporah who steps in. What does she do? She circumcises their son. Now, it's unclear why Moses hadn't done this. It is in the law of the Lord. Maybe it's because he's been amongst a different people in a different land. Maybe circumcision is, well, it's not the practice in Midian. But he hadn't fulfilled part of God's law. And it was an important part of the covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. It was the sign of the covenant. It was a covenant that set the people apart, marked them out as the people of God. It symbolized a, a cutting away from the world from sin. So Zipporah steps in and she takes decisive action. And again, Moses is saved by a woman's initiative. It's a woman who steps in and saves him again. And she circumcises their son and then she has this response, truly you are a, a bridegroom of blood to me. She's not a happy woman. But Moses had not completed this part of the covenant. God had commissioned him to go out to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, but he couldn't effectively do that until he had fulfilled the covenant of the Lord fulfilled that condition and that condition was circumcision. So in order to fulfill all righteousness, to avoid the wrath of God upon him, the son had to be circumcised. Now God, and we, we've just come through Christmas and, and New Year, 
God had sent his son into our world. He had sent him in as a little child. And Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be presented. Jesus was circumcised. Christ, Jesus, was baptized as believers in him are called to do. And as Simon reminded us uh, earlier on, this is the Sunday in the church's year when we cast our minds and remember, cast our minds to and remember the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John in the River Jordan. And Jesus comes to, uh, to John at that riverside and says, I want to be baptized by you. And John's response is, why are you here? You want me to baptize you? Surely it should be you baptizing me. John had been going around telling everyone that one was coming after him who was greater than he, whose baptism would be greater than the one that he performed with water. Woman that was coming would perform baptism by the Spirit. And he says, why? Why are you coming to me to be baptized? Why did Jesus go to be baptized by his cousin in the River Jordan? It's not, as Simon told us this morning, uh, that Jesus needed to be cleansed from his sins because he was blameless. He didn't need to mark himself as uh, set apart because he was set apart as God's son. He didn't need the flesh cut away, the sin cut away because he was blameless. But he did so to fulfill all righteousness. He did so to identify himself with John's ministry as well. John, of course, had been that messenger who had been pointing towards the one who was coming, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was baptized to identify with us. It's another important step in his overall mission and commission to identify with us a fallen people, a mission that would be fully fulfilled on the cross. When Jesus fulfilled all righteousness so that the wrath of God wouldn't fall upon us so that we would know redemption, that we would know deliverance. Zipporah stepped in and circumcised their son so that wrath and judgment wouldn't fall upon Moses. Moses had to fulfill all righteousness before he could move forward in his return towards Egypt unto the mission that God had for him. Christ's baptism marked the beginning of his earthly ministry, he was baptized to mark his commissioning by God, to be amongst the people, amongst the people to show them how to live, to point the way, to say the kingdom of God is close at hand. And Jesus, as he comes out of the water, he hears this voice. He says, a voice, a voice from heaven says, this is my son, whom I love with him I am well placed. The voice of the Father spoken over the Son and the dove descending, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon the Son. The Son had left his heavenly home with his Father and had entered into the world as a small child 
uh, human like each and every one of us, human yet fully divine. He left heaven to live amongst us, to dwell with us, to tabernacle with us, which literally means to pitch up his tent and camp amongst us. He left heaven to share with us in our lives and in our experiences and to point the way and to share life with us. Moses had also left all that he had known. He'd left the comfort of the palace the comfort of the palace of Pharaoh with the life that he enjoyed there. He left behind the Egyptian character and identity that he'd taken on. He left it behind. He came out of the palace to identify with Israel, his people. And he too heard the voice of the Lord. And his brother Aaron heard the voice of the Lord. As Peter read for us, we, we hear that Aaron hears this voice that says, go into the wilderness and meet with Moses. God told him, God told Moses that this was going to happen. God told Moses that he would send Aaron to him. And now it happens. We see the promises of God beginning to be fulfilled. Aaron heard, followed and found his brother. And right after the reunion, it's right down to business. They go to the people. And the people heard and believed. What is it about the words and the miraculous signs that brought the people to a place of believing? Moses, through Aaron, spoke the word of the Lord and did all of the signs, all of the things he was commanded and commissioned to do. He followed the way and the will of the Lord. Moses and Aaron had heard the voice of the Lord, followed his way and did all that was prepared for them to do. And the people believed. And it happened just as God said it would. God had promised earlier in Exodus 3 that the people would listen to the voice of Moses. And the people of Israel did. Again, the promises of the Lord being fulfilled. And the people's excitement was real because here is the deliverance that they've been anticipating. The salvation that they've been anticipating the beginning of their journey out of Egypt and into that promised land. And it's there in the presence and in the person of Moses who had been sent by the Lord, a human man like the rest of us who had listened to the voice of the Lord and followed his way. And then someone greater came, someone that John points to, John the Baptist points to Christ, who too was sent by God, sent to proclaim that the kingdom of God was near. Christ, the Son of God, eternal King and Saviour, to show us the path to deliverance. And the people worshipped because they heard. The people that Jesus found himself around. Some listened, some took it to heart. We know that parable of the sower. But people listened and heard the voice of the Lord and they worshipped and they believed. The people of Israel heard the word of the Lord through Moses. They listened and they believed. They listened and they worshipped. Because here the Lord was visiting them in his deliverance. Here the Lord was visiting him, visiting them 
having heard their cries, having heard their, their pain and sent, us, sent his, his uh, commissioned person into that, into that moment, Moses. Christ himself in God, God in Christ visits us that we should be in that place of worship, that we would know what it is to have deliverance, to have true salvation, not just in this world, but in the world to come. Christ came and visited us. We know that in the Christmas story. We know that he lives and shares in our living with us. And he's worthy of all our worship. He's worthy of our worship when we hear the voice of the Lord, when we see the voice and hear the voice and see the presence of God in Christ. And when we believe and trust, he's worthy of all our worship because he's in all. He rules over everything. This is a king who is greater than any earthly king, greater than any king that, that Pharaoh could be. This is the heavenly king who came for you and for me, who sustains us in all things. He is worthy of all our trust and our worship and our belief and all of our love and all of our praise. This part of Moses' story reminds us of the leading voice of God, the covenant that he makes with us to never leave us nor forsake us, to always keep his promises to us, it reminds us of the need to follow obediently because he leads us on to great things and he walks with us. And then it casts our mind to that moment in the ministry and, and in the life of Christ when he's baptized by his cousin John in the River Jordan. Christ who was born, lived, ministered, died, rose again and lives now to identify with us to show us the way to live, to follow, uh, to call us to follow his voice and to lead us to deliverance in trust and in belief and in love and in worship of him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a saviour worthy of all our love and our trust and our worship because he is true, because his promises never fail, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Lord, would we hear your voice, fulfill your call, follow in your way. Lord, would we leave behind that which needs to be left behind? Would we cut away that which needs to be cut away? Lord, would be no true deliverance in turning to you in Jesus Christ, the Son. So we pray that he would baptize us in his spirit right now and rest upon us in his presence and in his life-giving power. We pray these things in his name.